You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to Inside Healthcare. I'm NCQA's communications director and your host, Matt Brock. A special episode for you now, as we are delighted to speak with Dr. Eric Schneider, NCQA's executive vice president in all things quality measurement. Then we give you a peek into the mind of an amazing speaker, Tosan Boyo, on deck for our upcoming quality talks, April 21st. Then a few fast facts and other information to keep you at the top of your quality game. That's coming up later. But first, Dr. Eric Schneider just came on board as NCQA's Executive Vice President for the Quality Measurement and Research Group. That means he oversees all things measurement, research, and contracting. Many of you will recognize him from his prior position as Senior Vice President for Policy and Research at the Commonwealth Fund. But he is not absolutely new to us. Dr. Schneider co-chaired NCQA's Committee on Performance Measurement for nearly 10 years. No stranger at all. With so much to offer and so much on his agenda, we're very grateful that he has been able to fit us into his schedule. Dr. Eric Schneider, welcome to NCQA and welcome to Inside Healthcare. Let's start with generally your assessment. Uh, having been here four weeks, what are you thinking? Where's your Where's your head after uh, these four weeks? Well, first, it's been incredibly invigorating four weeks. Uh, uh, NCQA, I have, I've known NCQA for a long time. Uh, but I've only known a slice of NCQA, uh, most recently through my uh, service on the Committee on Performance Measurement, which I co-chaired up until uh, just before the pandemic. Uh, and <clears throat> now I'm getting a much broader view of all the activities that, that happen at NCQA. While I'm leading the uh, Quality Measurement Research Group, uh, uh, that group is a sizable part of the work we do. The heat manages HEDIS. It uh, looks at... Uh, the services needed to implement HEDIS effectively and, and also research and development to, to find our way to the new measures and new products that can better serve those uh, in the marketplace who are trying to improve the quality of healthcare. Um, and then there's a whole other side uh, around uh, accreditation standards, around getting the message out, uh, education and other uh, pieces that I'm still uh, learning about. Uh, but overall, I'm uh, just thrilled uh, with what I've been seeing and learning over the last four weeks. NCQA is at a pivotal moment. I think our whole healthcare system is at a pivotal moment uh, coming out of the pandemic, um, beginning to really leverage uh, the, the last 10 years of uh, electronic health records coming into the ecosystem uh, and uh, with the te technology uh, innovations that are happening. Uh, at a really break, breathtaking pace uh, coming out of Silicon Valley, coming out of, uh, um, and then life sciences innovations as well. But you, uh, uh, the other thing I'm really excited about is uh, the renewed emphasis on equity uh, in, the, in our system, which the pandemic has starkly highlighted. So I'm looking forward to that work in that intersection of making our quality measurement systems better, both more, uh, easily implemented with less burden uh, to deliver uh, meaningful measures to people, uh, even at the point of care, potentially, 
uh, but to also enable that system to tell us where we need to work on uh, achieving higher, better equity in the, in the healthcare, in U.S. healthcare. Now, uh, who is ahead of who? Because you jumped right ahead of, ahead of me for really my next question, because I was going to say, boy, you're arriving at an exciting time. I've been here seven years. I've seen some big initiatives happen and pass, but I've never seen anything like where we are right now with um, this intersection. And I think that's a great word, intersection or crossroads of uh, two very important NCQA priorities, which is health equity, and then the use of technology and digital quality measurement uh, are both such huge priorities, huge undertakings. And yet we at NCQA are sort of bravely walking in. Um, it must yep. be a bit, bit overwhelming. <laughs> well, it is and it isn't. So, uh, you know, the, my first uh, stint at NCQA was in the mid-1990s, uh, just out of fellowship. And I came as a fellow for a year uh, to work on the development of HEDIS, which at that time was uh, a handful of measures. Uh, and uh, interestingly, at that time, people were writing about population health and the importance of population health, the importance of access to care that uh, uh, managed care uh, companies could, could influence. Uh, uh, both of those, population health and access to care. And interestingly, my one of my projects that year was on the future of uh, health information technology to support performance measurement in a healthcare system. And uh, uh, we published a paper actually in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which I still go back to every once in a while. Uh, there was a lot we saw that could be done, uh, but it was way too early uh, in terms of the available technologies. I think the vision uh, has been there for a, a while. Uh, I've certainly participated in trying to push that ball along over the course of my career at Harvard School of Public Health for many years, then at uh, the Rand Corporation, then at the Commonwealth Fund most recently. And in, in every one of those roles, uh, I've seen opportunities to push the ball forward, whether it was developing new quality measures, evaluating new ways of uh, using data to uh, measure quality, and, uh, and also whether uh, um, better understanding how health systems, healthcare, delivery organizations, clinics uh, can actually re-engineer the way they deliver their care to improve the quality of care and how they take advantage of uh, the measures that uh, NCQA has developed. So a lot of the foundational work uh, that's happened over the last, I wanna say 25 years of my career uh, kind of brings brings us to this moment. And it's one of the reasons I was so excited about coming to NCQA at this time, because uh, some things that I was waiting to see happen in the marketplace have finally really come to fruition. Hmm. It, I think it's the nature of the business too, that it's incremental, that it moves slowly, but it moves, correct? Uh, we would all like it to move faster. Yeah, sort of one of the rules of innovation that... Uh, Nothing seems to be happening for a long time, and then suddenly everything changes at once when there's a, a set of different breakthroughs come together and form a synergy. And uh, we've certainly, and we've certainly had that over the past two years. That could, that has lurched us forward in a lot of areas, uh, and as and especially equity over the last two years. Um, tell me about that. Uh, give me a sense of uh, your gauge 
of that change in the approach to health equity, as well as the um, enthusiasm for tackling the issue. Because frankly, a lot of us whistled past the graveyard for a good 20 years. Absolutely right. You know, the, the uh, unequal treatment report from the Institute of Medicine came out in 2003, I believe. Uh, and um, uh, there was a flurry of work at that time, actually just uh, reviewed prior, uh, last year we did a review of the uh, equity and quality improvement agenda in cardiovascular care. And I was, one of the things most striking to me is that there was a flurry of publications up until around 2010, and then it sort of goes quiet almost for a while. Um, and then in more recent years, uh, there's a resurgence of interest. Of course, the pandemic again, uh, and the, uh, the technology that revealed to us the kinds of uh, challenges in the, um, uh, for Black Americans uh, uh, we're facing with George Floyd's murder uh, and others, uh, uh, which would have gone unnoticed in the, in the old world because the technology to capture those moments just didn't exist or wasn't widely deployed. So there is this funny intersection, right, uh, between these the technology and what it's in, what it's revealing and showing us, and then we're seeing it in the pandemic as well, uh, in a very just dramatic fashion. Um, the the inequities that that play out, it really does just uncover, like you said, what was in plain sight and what we knew in the research community for years that access was unequal, clinical care was unequal. Uh, there were multiple studies on the use of treatments, the use of diagnostics showing the inequalities. Um, but uh, for the larger uh, public to really grasp the implications uh, wasn't, wasn't obvious to people until, you know, before the pandemic, just before the pandemic, but then surely during the pandemic uh, that's come to the fore. I thought of myself as an expert on equitable care, but only in the last uh, couple of years, uh, as we have uh, encountered, as I've worked uh, on a journey uh, regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion, have I appreciated many of the things that I did not understand um, about privilege and about uh, inequalities in society. We can always learn in that area, can't we? We, uh, I think that's part, not only of being, I think of being in healthcare and doing what we do, but it's just almost sort of a human requirement <laughs> to- absolutely. 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 It's a journey we all need to take, no matter where we are on that journey, uh, what stage of the journey, um, and also uh, a willingness to open our eyes to um, injustices that uh, we take for granted. Uh, and it's OK. I know I know we're a measurement company. We're all about measurement, but it's OK. And, and it's OK to cite all of those numbers that prove exactly what we're saying. But it's also OK just to tackle uh, disparities because it's the right thing to do. That's sort of the messaging that I've thought has been very important. Yeah, we, we shouldn't require a business case for equity. <laughs> we, should, we should do it because it is the right thing to do. We also had, I think, a breakthrough, at least for me, uh, conceptually, and that we've often reported disparities as uh, the uh, performance of healthcare for um, people of color compared to a white standard. And one of the breakthroughs for me in the last couple of years was the recognition that that's a, that in itself is centering the white privilege in the measurement system. 
And so uh, one thing we worked on uh, last year, uh, my last year at the Commonwealth Fund was uh, a different way of reporting a scorecard that actually allowed for centering on the populations that we choose to center on, regardless of their race or ethnicity, but then being able to say, what's the experience of one group relative to another? And actually, as we know, all groups are below where we would like to be in the United States uh, when it comes to quality of care. And we can point to a few states, a few populations within states that may perform at the standard of some of our European countries, which actually do remarkably well on many measures. But overall in the US, uh, we fall short for everyone uh, in one way or another. You started out talking about digitalization and about work in the past on that and um, how we thought, I, I think you were intimating how we thought we might be far further along than we are now. So you gave me an, a, you sort of your, your take on equity. Hit that digitalization for me and what it can mean for the industry and what true digitalization is. Sure. So, um, uh, you know, I, I remember the practice where everything was on paper, in a paper file, you know, in the wall, uh, and it had to be pulled out each time and, you know, flipped through. Uh, that's the world of practice back in the 1990s, uh, even. And then we've gradually digitalized more and more healthcare information. And then a big Oops. boost. Those three ring binders are legendary in the hallways of NCQA. I never saw them, but people talk about them. Absolutely. <laughs> and I remember, I remember them well. There's a lot of virtues to paper, but uh, saving space is not one of them. Um, but uh, the, uh, I think what's really uh, been impressive is the last 10 years of change related to the High Tech Act and the, really the installation of electronic health records into uh, uh, many practices, hospitals. It's been a bumpy road uh, over the last 10 years. It's been a lot of effort in the transition to this digital uh, healthcare system. Uh, we're still on that road to some extent, but what is now possible is to create the standards around healthcare information that were really just not conceivable. I mean, PEDIS was a standard uh, in the paper world, but to create standardization of the digital data in a way that makes it easily exchangeable across entities and um, can just dramatically reduces the cost uh, once the data are there of being able to do the analyses to understand quality, to do them in real time, uh, to not have it be retrospective. So there are uh, tremendous numbers of benefits. What's beyond that even is just the um, digitalization of life for uh, Americans and others in the world. Consumers now experience healthcare, a lot of it virtually, especially during the pandemic, just as banking, retail, travel, uh, and other uh, shopping uh, experiences now are often uh, at least start digitally. Uh, uh, we can actually now, and during the pandemic, we have brought uh, healthcare uh, into the home and in, in, uh, in, through digital means. So um, it does mean a, a shift in the way we think about healthcare delivery, where the consumer is far more at the center uh, of our thinking about uh, care delivery. And we can reduce the costs of data collection, reduce the burden, and actually potentially get even more accurate information about someone's health status, uh, what their goals might be, 
uh, for their care uh, and whether we're delivering the care that they need uh, at a particular moment. So I'm, that's the part I'm incredibly bullish on is the, uh, the capacity to have data coming out of the care experience uh, in real time uh, that, that, that it can be analyzed and fed back to improve care. Uh, that that that's that short cycle was not something I could have imagined even uh, uh, 25 years ago when we wrote what I thought was a forward-looking paper. But I didn't I didn't appreciate where this was really going to go in terms of engagement of the patient, the family, uh, caregivers, and and physicians, cl other clinicians uh, uh, in this digital ecosystem. But if you really think about the technology, we take it for granted how much it has leapt forward over the last 20 years, and healthcare. It's not very, you know, healthcare doesn't turn on a dime like other things do. And so the fact that we're turning it all, I think, is something to applaud and maybe prod to move a little quicker. But um, uh, yeah, the, the technology changes happen fast. Yeah. And I think, you know, to, uh, the analogy I sometimes reach for is uh, quality compass, which is sort of a map metaphor. Uh, you know, paper map guide you to where the best care is. Uh, think about uh, traffic. Uh, you know, we now, I don't even leave the house uh, without the smartphone. If I'm going to drive somewhere or bicycle or walk, whatever it is, I now have an app that can tell me kind of how long it's going to take me to get where I want to go. Can tell me if there's obstructions along the way that'll slow me down. Can it give me the optimal route? You know, if you bring that metaphor to healthcare, um, uh, quality compass becomes a whole new ball game uh, in terms of guiding you to the, uh, the, the sites of care, the, the clinicians who can deliver the care you need, and to, for you to know as much as you want to know about their performance, their capabilities, and what you can expect. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's the metaphor that, that uh, brings it alive for me. It becomes so much more complex and detailed correct. So almost now it's time to call it uh, quality GPS. Quality GPS quality. Is, a, is, a, is a good a good label for that. And it's even more than GPS because it's not just telling you where you are, it's telling you everything that's around you that you might be interested in, uh, which maybe is overwhelming, <laughs> depending on how you have the thing set. Also, I, I just want to throw in here the advancement of wearable technology, too, uh, and health gauging and uh, c continuous glucose monitoring and steps. All of that is just more data points for this machine, so to speak. Yeah. Yes, it's true. There, there are all sorts of channels. There's all the patient-generated data you were just describing. There's data on the environment, uh, on the uh, around people that uh, factors that could influence their health. Uh, we really have almost countless number of streams of data that we could bring into the game of analyzing uh, how well our health system is performing. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, what's the, uh, that old side the, the success in any business is not what you can do, it's what you choose not to do. I think we do have the challenge now of the data, there's so much available that we have to be really thoughtful and careful about how to analyze it and bring it uh, to people in a way they can digest and, and use. Call the appropriate data, so to speak. Uh, right. one, la one, one last question, because we are running out of time. Uh, one thing that you will oversee here at NCQA, or not will, do oversee here at NCQA, is uh, research. 
Uh, and we do some exciting things around here. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your hopes there. Yeah, I, I, uh, I again, I, I've, my whole career has been about research, but probably less in the theoretical realm or supporting theoretical concepts than about apl applying those. So um, if you think about any kind of commonly used technology that we use today, um, whether it's automobiles or uh, uh, these smartphones or anything else, they, they all started out as, uh, as uh, sort of basic research projects. Uh, the first electronic health record actually was developed, I think, in the 1960s. Uh, I had a chance to meet some of the people who did that work. Those were research projects for years and years before they became uh, useful in, in practice. Um, so as far as what we're working on at NCQA now, uh, certainly the work on health equity, there are a number of interesting challenges we need to solve around how best to capture equity uh, at the community level, at the personal level, and at the uh, healthcare system level. Uh, and, and that's going that's a research agenda. Uh, we have some work on what we're calling patient-directed outcomes, which is really a less around whether a particular treatment is received or not received, but gets into whether the system is meeting a person's personal health goals uh, as they define them. So it's less about a particular clinical guideline uh, for a particular treatment and more about the way that the healthcare system can support individuals to live their lives the way and, and achieve the goals that they have, whether that's um, being able to walk uh, a couple of blocks to see uh, grandchildren or uh, other uh, very functionally oriented uh, uh, goals that people might have, uh, which would really improve their quality of life uh, more, so, more sometimes than our medications or other uh, tests or treatments could. So those are just two examples I could probably go on. I will be going on uh, because there is such a rich uh, vein of, uh, of potential research work to do here. Mm. Well, uh, we look forward to seeing it. One, uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge, real short? What do you think is the biggest challenge ahead for I Dr. Think, Eric Schneider? I think always in the, re especially in the research uh, uh, world, uh, the biggest challenge is uh, is uh, helping people to understand the potential opportunity and showing them the path to that opportunity and the resources that will be needed to get there. So when we wrote that paper 25 years ago on the digital future for performance measurement, uh, that was a first stab at sort of trying to paint the picture of what's a valuable set of activity that will get us to that, to that new world. I think that challenge is the same today as it was 25 years ago, that the topics have changed and the and the, the, the opportunities have changed. But I, uh, uh, I view that as sort of the, one of the key challenges. And then finally, uh, the, the maybe even bigger challenge, I probably should have started with this one, is how to make sure that what we're embedding in the healthcare system actually matters in the lives of patients, actually does, make the, the, does improve the care, does make it better, easier uh, for clinicians to deliver care that is gonna really impact the lives of the people they're serving. That, uh, to me, is uh, sort of the ultimate uh, challenge that we face. That's Dr. Eric Schneider, NCQA's new executive vice president of the Quality Measurement and Research Group. We'll be sure to have him on again to update you on activities here at NCQA as they progress. Again, welcome aboard, Dr. Schneider. Now, a sneak preview for Quality Talks that's on April 21st. Tassan Boyo 
is Senior Vice President for Hospital Operations at John Muir Health in the San Francisco Bay Area. But he's also led San Francisco's COVID-19 Operations Center, where they had the lowest case rates and the highest testing rates of any high-density city in the country. Now, as we've discussed on this show, the pandemic exacerbated and laid bare the issue of inequities in healthcare and the urgent need to fix them. Well, we talked to Boyo, who is a native Nigerian, about his take. My father is a family medicine physician in Nigeria. My mother is a clinical lab scientist in Jersey. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents owned a hospital called Pinecrest Specialist Hospital. And for me, in June 1993 was when uh, Nigeria was having one of the first democratic elections in decades. Um, And during this time, the individual, his name was MKO Abiola, had won uh, the election. However, the military refused to acknowledge his win. And I have this very vivid memory of uh, riots breaking out in the streets and people in pain physically and emotionally. And what happened was uh, when individuals were hurt, they came to my parents' hospital and no one was allowed to bring their violence, no one was allowed to bring chaos, no one was allowed to bring any form of spite in so that they could all get care. And I started looking at hospitals and healthcare as a sacred space from that moment in time. And I've never wanted to do anything else in my life since that very day, June 12, 1993. You've been around the world, touched every continent. We've talked about that. And you've, I assume, seen, you know, healthcare in all of these places, or at least some of them. How do we compare in this country in terms of quality of healthcare to those around the world? Well, the first thing I'd say is um, I don't believe that any continent has mastered healthcare delivery. Every area has challenges. One thing I would say that has been consistent from my observations is it says a lot in how countries, states, uh, municipalities take care of the most vulnerable. That's a reflection of what their priorities are. So if you imagine the person with the least resources, the person on the edge of the despair, when it comes to socioeconomic status or just fundamental health outcomes, how are they treated by society? What opportunities are they given? And for me, that is what that is the lens I want to look at how systems across the world are supporting populations. And that's very telling. And then the most powerful thing that I think uh, came out of the pandemic was COVID unearthed and made visible disparities that have existed for decades. And the second thing is it compelled health delivery systems to better integrate and partner with public health entities. For a long time, both institutions had been operating separately in different parts of the US. And then all of a sudden there was no choice but to understand what is the need of the population? How do we keep people healthy? And how does that ultimately impact health delivery systems. And that was a powerful takeaway that compelled a lot of systems worldwide to start looking at the health of the whole population 
across the entire continuum. I'm really hopeful that that perspective doesn't go away as we move from pandemic to endemic. I think, you know, it's funny how numbers are used, but you could argue uh, about a lot of shortfalls in the American healthcare system. And you could argue that it's also the best in the world. I'm sure uh, there are people who argue on both sides. Um, I, I don't know if I want to ask you the answer to that. I think I want to ask you, are we open to answering that? Are we open to learning from others and learning what they're doing and and sort of employing those lessons? Or are we just not open to the outside world? I don't think we can afford to not be open any longer when we reflect on the past two years. Uh, the past two years also showed us how critical uh, globalization has impacted our economy. The past two years showed that it is not sustainable to only focus on self, because ultimately, if we only do that, then it's, I mean, that's one of the reasons it's been so hard to come out of the pandemic, because in, in many respects, we've looked at what does it take for one group or one person to thrive? And we as a society have struggled to think about what can I do in my part to support the greater whole? So I fundamentally believe that the U.S. has a lot to learn from other countries and to teach uh, other countries. But at the same time, COVID was very humbling. And I think more than anything, self-reflection is going to be key for us to ensure we do not come back to the situation. Um, and then the other piece I would love to do, and I would encourage a lot of other healthcare leaders to do is, how do we do a full on autopsy of everything we've learned in the past two years, right? So if you look at telehealth, why did it take a pandemic for healthcare in the US to make a pivot of what are the things that we can do that do not require someone taking a day out of work, catching two buses, and in, in some, in some uh, many respects, not even getting paid for that time to come get care when we can bring care to them. And how do we build on all those lessons learned that were available to us, but we just didn't fully leverage? Hmm. A big pause is what you're recommending. A oh, big pause and reflection. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and is there any sign of that happening? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can speak for uh, John Muir Health. You know, as we come out of the pandemic, that's going to be part of the work I want us to lead to understand what were the best lessons learned? How was our team impacted? How do we better support recovery emotionally? Um, I've written uh, about how trauma was very prevalent across health workers. And I don't know that many of us and our teams have fully um, evaluated the impact of that trauma on what it's meant to us, how we recover from it. Uh, that's an example. When we think about morale and staff engagement, uh, health workers have been running on fumes now. So how do we start prioritizing us, prioritizing self-care, prioritizing our teams? And a part of that comes from you know, instead of thinking about the way things used to be, start asking who do we want to be based on everything that we've learned. And, you know, this also goes back to what I mentioned about disparities and equity. So if you think about 
a lot of the disparities that were highlighted uh, after the pandemic started blooming. The life expectancy for uh, people of color in the US, uh, limited access, that information was not new. So the question becomes, why did we not care as much before up until now? And then how do we ensure we do not go back to the way things used to be, especially with apathy. And then the other example is when I think about 2020, there was uh, two pandemics that were alive in 2020. There was COVID and then there was structural racism. And one can argue, you know, what was it about 2020 that made the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd? Why did the US as a whole and companies across Fortune 500 and many health systems, why did they care more about 2020 versus the fact that, you know, 10 years ago, uh, Trayvon Martin was killed. 10 years ago, the Black Lives Matter movement uh, started. What was it in the past eight years between 2012 and 2020 that um, didn't get everyone to care as much versus that year? But then asking the same question, how do we ensure we do not go back to being apathetic and focus on realizing that uh, equity is how we validate and verify quality to ensure that every person from every, uh, every walk of life is achieving the best life possible in healthcare. Do you have a hypothesis on what that 2020 trigger was? <laughs> I'm sure I do have know. a hypothesis. Uh, I don't, I, I'm, I'm in no way, shape or form claiming it's an answer. So I will give you an example, uh, a metaphor behind a part of my um, hypothesis. Okay. So, um, this metaphor is you have two people uh, walking on a similar sidewalk. Uh, one person has a mask on and the other person doesn't. As they're outside, they're exercising, you know, everyone was say, encouraged to be outside during that time. And they're on the same walk, on the same sidewalk. And as they were coming and getting closer to each other, one individual was like, listen, I don't want to take any chances. I don't want to get sick. I don't want to get infected. And then the other person crosses the street because they are concerned about their health and well-being. And a lot of people in the US experienced that feeling. Now, the metaphor is when I think about the life of a person of color in the US. So you imagine pre-pandemic, both people walking the street. Now imagine that it's dark at night and they're both on the same sidewalk. When I think about myself, I, you know, a thought that has come through my mind infinite times is I want to cross the street because I don't want this person to assume I'm going to harm them. I don't want them to be afraid. I don't want any drama. I cross the streets because I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be stereotyped and I don't want to end up in making, uh, in a situation where somebody's making any assumptions about me. So I cross the streets so I can just keep going my own way. So my hypothesis is in 2020, that sense of vulnerability that people of color feel in a perpetual basis during their lives in 2020, that feeling a lot more people in the US got a glimpse into, oh my gosh, I think about my safety every day when I come out of the house. And that is a feeling 
that people of color, in many cases, Black and Latino people, that's part of the everyday life of, I'm going out today, hopefully everything's okay, I don't want any drama, and that's just a part of getting up in the morning. And my, my hypothesis is empathy was compelled on the U.S. population, and all of a sudden people started thinking about their safety on a daily basis. And then technology um, caught up. One of the things I like to remind people is in 2020, when we saw a lot of those videos, it didn't mean that things just started happening out of the blue. It just meant that there are more people recording and monitoring and technology caught up to events like that that have been taking place for decades. So I think this, this is an example of how we can learn from 2020. How do we not lose the empathy that has been compelled in us for the past two years? How do we not go back to business as usual? And then how do we place these lessons learned on our teams and our patients, right? So the other question I would ask is, would you rather not know the things that you know now after understanding disparities in outcomes? Is it, you know, would you prefer to just be like, you know what? I don't want to have all this information or it's too much work or it's additive. And I think that's the power of equity work being how we validate and verify quality work. Equity advocate and Quality Talks 2022 speaker, Tusan Boyo. Again, April 21st, reserve your seat in person or online at qualitytalks.org. And now onto our Fast Facts segment. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Here at NCQA, we keep tabs on performance with our colorectal cancer screening measure, also known as COL. And of course, it's part of HEDIS. The COL measure assesses adults age 50 to 75 who were screened for colorectal cancer using any uh, of a number of tests, including a colonoscopy every 10 years and an annual fecal occult blood test. What you need to know is that according to the American Cancer Society, one in 23 men and one in every 25 women will be diagnosed with this type of cancer in their lifetime. Still, incidence of colorectal cancer has decreased over the past 30 years, and the ACS attributes this to an overall increase of colonoscopy screenings. In the year 2000, only 20% of adults age 50 and over got colonoscopies. By 2018, that number had risen to 61%. That's impressive. I'm thinking that, you know, accountability and measurement might have had something to do with that. We're doing well with this, but we can always do better. That's what measurement is always about, isn't it? Quality Talks is just a few weeks away, April 21st. Go to qualitytalks.org to register. Moving on now, our annual Quality Innovation Series is on deck. The series of webinars includes more than 20 presentations held over a period of two months. Early bird registration is open now with special pricing until April 3rd. So you'll want to get on that. Check our website. Looking further ahead, mark your calendars. The Digital Quality Summit is in July and a brand new event is booked for Halloween. 
The Health Innovation Summit is a three-day event right here in Washington, D.C. Before we go, just a word to let you know, we like to hear from you, your take on the issues we're discussing, potential guest. Email us at communications at ncqa.org. That wraps up another episode of Inside Healthcare for producer Dave Smolar and all of us here at Inside Healthcare. Thanks for joining us. I'm NCQA Director of Communications, Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt. You've been listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast brought to you by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Inside Healthcare is available on your computer or mobile device through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on our blog at blog.ncqa.org forward slash podcast.